Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Dude, Peyton just said the coolest thing. Can we can we organize my room and throw stuff away? Um. Hey, yo, yes, we can. We can throw stuff away. That's my. It's my sport. I love throwing things away. My God. Mm-hmm. Just love it. Oh, we need to bring that chick grid out to the chicks. By the way, our chicks are like almost chickens. Oh, I thought you were saying that there was a chick over there. I was like, what? No. I'm so excited. And guess what I did tonight? I emailed the lady to ask her if we could reserve 24 more. I know Angron's going to kill me. Um, Listen, the did different... Did you order some that weren't there? Did you, like, order different types of chickens that weren't there? Remember I want the speckled eggs and the blue eggs? Yep, and she didn't have any, did she? No, they didn't. she didn't. So did she give you another refund? No, 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 there was no refund. She just gave me these for, like, super inexpensive. The ones that we have. Oh, I didn't mean a refund. Like, um... Like a discount. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She gave us a big, huge discount. Not on these ones, though. Yeah, she did. The, N- one, yes. the ones that we're going to be getting. Honestly, we have ticks on our property, and I'm like, the more chickens, the better, man. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Especially because ticks don't stick to feathers. Well, I don't know if chickens can get ticks. I would imagine so, but they eat them. Yeah, they'd be. Yeah, they eat them. Yeah. Okay. City of Ghosts, Chapter 21. Sometimes help is a place and someone, and sometimes it's a person, and sometimes it's a bit of both. We set out on foot, racing off to the ca- off the castle grounds, through the porticulus, okay, and the front gate. What's a porticulus? What is this port, book for? Port, wait, portcullis? Portcullis? I don't even know what that word is, guys. How old are you supposed to be to be able to read this book? I don't know. This is like a fifth grade book, sixth grade book, maybe. <coughs> we have to get to the lane's end. We have to find Lara. We hurry down the broad step set of steps. Oh my gosh, sorry, you guys, I can't read tonight. And it spits us out at the top of Royal Mile. The other Edinburgh is gone, swept behind the curtain here. In the veil, a stranger, older, a stranger, older city takes shape, brimming with, well, not life, but movement, people. This is the real city of ghosts. They're everywhere, some in modern dresses and others in old-fashioned clothes. As I watch a dozen different scenes play out, it's clear enough that Laura was right. Every ghost is trapped inside their own time, their own loop. Mourners gather under the umbrella, sea of umbrellas. A woman in a long dress pushes an ordinance, an ornate stroller, cooing to its hidden contents. A cluster of men wearing kilts and stumbles, stumbles past, their accents too thick to understand. Get back here, bellows a man, and I turn thinking he's talking to me. But a second later, a small boy darts past us, clutching a loaf of bread. The vendor charges after the boy and races into the street, right out in front of a horse and carriage. I realize to catch, I reach to catch his arm, but I'm too late. 
The boy trips and the horse rears up and I squeeze my eyes shut, waiting for the crash, the screams, but they don't come. A moment later, the boy and the man and the horse and the carriage are gone. Somewhere, the loop begins again. Come on, Cass, J- says Jacob, taking my hand. We turned off the, ro- the royal mile and the world flickers, shifts. It's like moving from room to room in an endless house. There are moments when it seems empty, a blank gray canvas, and others when the ghosts of memory, memories layer so thick it's hard to focus. A woman in vintage clothes storms out of the doorway. Threads of smoke billow up from the building down the street. A man in a hooded cloak warns people to stay inside. I've never been in the veil this long before. Things should be getting murky by now, but instead they're getting clearer. I don't feel dizzy or foggy or lost or any of the other things that a living person is supposed to feel when they spend too long on the land of the dead. This is a bad sign, and I know it, and so does Jacob, who clutches my hand as we race towards Lane's End. But the closer we get, the more I feel like I'm going the wrong way, which doesn't make any sense. Turn around, my legs say. Go this way, my arms say. Follow me, my heart says. I can't trust any of them, not here in the veil. The Lane's End comes into a sight comes into sight and a small sob of relief escapes my throat. I'm so glad to see that bright red door. I try not to dwell on what it means. The lane's end exists here inside the veil. That someone's moment must be rooted in this place. I throw open the door. Laura, I called from the front. Laura, shouts Jacob as we climb the stairs to 1A. She probably can't hear us, not across the veil, but we call out anyways. The door to her flat hangs open and we step inside. It looks older, stranger, piled with books and wallpaper differently. Of course, this isn't Laura's flat, but right now it's as close as we can get. I have to hope that that it's close enough. I press myself against the veil, trying to see through the curtain that seems to be getting thicker and thicker with every passing second. When the world finally becomes into view, it's out of focus like staring at two strips of film that haven't been lined up quite right. There's black and white in there, right? Yeah, it was like gray. It's gray over on the other side of the veil. Then how can they see red? That's what she's looking for, a red door. And she's like, yes, I don't know why it's red. Hello? Hello, a voice says behind me. Jacob jumps and I spin around to fight an older man in a robe. He has a pipe between his lips and a book under one arm. He's a ghost, that part's obvious, but there's something about him that seems so solid, present. With a grieving father in the freezing house, it was clear that we'd stepped into his memory. Even when he talked to me, he was in a deep fog. But this man didn't seem to be stuck in a loop. When he looks at me, at Jacob, I can tell he really sees us. Can I help you? He asks in a kind voice. I'm looking for Laura, I stammer. I'm afraid my niece isn't home. Your niece? How rude, says the man, holding his hand out. I'm Regin. Um, I'm Reginald Weathershire. My friends call me Reggie. Oh, of course, Mr. Weathershire. Lane's end. This must be his veil. Cassidy Blake, I say, shaking his hand. Mr. Weathershire frowns. She mentioned you, but he shakes his head. She said you were. He gestures to my shirt front where the light should be like like her. I'm not a ghost, I say, cringing at the word. It's just been a very long day. Hi, Jacob. Oh, hi, I'm Jacob, Jacob cuts in, and not to be rude, but we're kind of in a hurry. Do you know where your niece went? Mr. Weathershire shakes his head. I'm afraid I don't get out much these days. Panic fills my lungs like water. How am I supposed to find Laura? I turn in a slow circle, trying to figure out what to do. 
but the veil doesn't have many answers. I close my eyes and force myself to breathe, focus on the air coming in and out of my lungs, the tug inside my chest. Wait, a tug? It's there, right behind my ribs, the same pull I felt when I first met Laura. Like the thread running between us. I feel it now, and only it's not pulling me into the flat, but down the hall, down the stairs. We have to go. Wait, where? Jacob said. I think I know how to find her, I said, already heading for the door. But something makes me look back. Mr. Weathershire is across the room, sliding his book into a gap on the shelf. According to Laura, he's a ghost and he should be sent on. But he doesn't look lost. He doesn't seem trapped. Why are you here, I asked. He looks around fondly. Suppose I'm not ready to say goodbye. And Laura says, lets you stay? He chuckles softly. Well, we all need someone who sees us clearly. Huh, maybe Laura has a soft spot after all. And maybe I'm a skull shooter, said Jacob. No offense, Cass, but I don't care about Laura's inner Hufflepuff. I care about getting your life back, and to do that, we need to find her. I follow the pole. Let it lead me down the stairs and into the street. Mom always says, trust your gut. So I do. Have you ever stood up on the top of a hill? That's, there's that natural urge to go down. The way your legs pick up the momentum once you start. The pull of gravity sending you always, always, always towards the base of the slope. That's what it felt like now. Like Laura's at the bottom of the hill and I'm being drawn towards her. All I have to do is trust my feet and walk. This is spooky. What would you do if that happened to you? Would you be, like, freaking out? Mm. You don't know? Okay. I know you, and you'd be crying like a little baby. You'd be like, Jacob. Oh, take your earrings out. Jacob. I want my mom. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. Half the people listening to this would do the same thing. Dude, I would probably be like, I want Peyton. Mom. <laughs>